Welcome to Improv Interview. I'm Margot Escott, a psychotherapist and improv teacher here in Naples, Florida. And on Improv Interviews, we speak to all kinds of interesting folks who've been doing improv for a short time and a long time. I am really excited about the guest we have today because he's one of the elders in improvisation. And I need to say that Robert Lowe has been such a support to me throughout my improv career and then with the podcast. He's just a wonderful human being and I hope you learn more about him today and the wonderful work he's been doing in the improv world and especially in applied improv. Well, hello, Robert. Hello, Margo. It's great to see you today. Our listeners may not be seeing you, but they'll be hearing you. Okay, fine. So uh, let's catch up with what you're doing right now. Are you involved in any projects right now? Are you an honoree of anything right now? The primary thing that's going on right now has to do with uh, the uh, archive that I collected with the um, uh, of the improv in Atlanta. I started uh, doing uh, uh, keeping videotapes and newspaper articles and all of those kinds of things back in 1984. And just a couple of weeks ago, the Atlanta History Center accepted my entire archive for their permanent collection. Oh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. It's all digitized and they, they've got to connect it to their system. But by summer, they said it should be available to everybody on the planet. Um, and that's a big deal because the Atlanta History Center is the largest, most uh, a, a powerful history center in the Southeast. Well, I can't wait till that's available. That's wonderful. Congratulations. You deserve it. Now, you. you're a man of many talents. You're like a Renaissance man. You know, I know that you've done a lot of things in improv, public speaking, presentations, personal ad advocacy in many areas, a management consultant, a public speaker, teacher, adjunct professor at Georgia State University, and a U.S. Naval officer. And I think it's always interesting, the experiences we have in life prior to discovering improv, which you did at a very young age, but how they all kind of lead us there, I think. The different paths we took all seem to converge when we start improvising. A hundred percent. Recently, I've, well, I'm 73 years old, and I, I tout my age because I enjoy being uh, an elder. Um, but looking back at what I've done, uh, my experiences, I, I, a book I wrote about my commune experiences under the influences of a man in a wheelchair uh, led me to Aikido. Aikido led me to uh, uh, improvisation, and they all absolutely fit together. And I discovered that I've been, well, I've been 39 years at specifically at improv. I, I, I've been at, at improv my whole life. Uh, Everything I've done in my life has led me to it and has been part of it. Well, you're, it's just fantastic. I know your book uh, was revised in 2017, Improvisation, Inc., an applied improvisational handbook, which I'll urge my listeners to take a look at. And let's talk a little bit about Aikido, because you mentioned it. What does Aikido have to do with improvisation? Aikido is a totally defensive martial art uh, uh, developed during the last century. And its basic principle is that if someone is conflicting with you, it's, it's, they're, they're being crazy, they're insane, they don't understand that we're all one life form and all one being. And O-sensei who taught the art, uh, taught it in such a fashion that the goals are, there's no hitting, kicking, kicking or breaking involved in it. And were I to hurt somebody doing Aikido, I will have done it wrong. 
And the first principle, and I've only really got this recently, the first principle of Aikido, usually when somebody conflicts with us, we, we tend to either conflict back or we run away or we freeze. Aikido says, no, open yourself entirely and totally physically and emotionally accept that person, which is the basis of yes and, physical total acceptance of the other at a, at a, a huge level of, of being. And I've been at that for longer than I've been at improv. Wow, and it's an incredible art. And I've, I, I have done a lot of work with humor and laughter and play before I discovered improv. And Matt Weinstein talked about that, using a, the principles of Aikido in conflict. And it's just a beautiful principle. Now, you come from California originally, don't you? I do, yes. And um, how old were you when you left California? I was uh, in my 30s. I was 36, 37, something like that. Um, I was, I was headhunted and hired by a company. Um, the idea was to come to Atlanta, learn the business, and uh, go back to California in a year or two and start a, a, a branch office. That turned out to be a, 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 a pipe dream. And uh, I eventually became vice president of this financial services corporation, which gave me some extraordinary experience in dealing with people at, at new levels of, of various things. And, but it also gave me Atlanta. Uh, which was a barren land at the time that I got here. I, I expected there to be Aikido and I expected there to be improv. And there was wonderful Aikido, great teacher uh, and a great line of that. But there was no improvisation in Atlanta when I got here in 1983, none in the Southeast. Wow, we're gonna get back to that, but I wanna go back in history a bit with you because you were a teenager when the Beach Boys and Jan and Dean and all that wonderful music that came out of the canyon was Absolutely. developing. And so what did you like to do as a teenager? Were you into performing arts at that point or what, what really rocked your boat back then? I started in theater in junior high school. We had a wonderful stage. Uh, a full proscenium, beautiful stage. Uh, and I, I just took to it. Um, but I was actually, uh, and interestingly enough, uh, my father was a, a, a heavy Republican military man and I loved Eisenhower. And uh, I actually met Eisenhower uh, several times. And uh, I became a major Republican activist as a teenager. Um, uh, it ended up when, in my uh, high school years, uh, there was a man who was running for Congress. Uh, he was a Seventh-day Adventist running against a Mormon. And uh, I became the youth campaign coordinator for, the, for his campaign. Had he won, I would have gone to Congress with him as his personal page. And thank heaven, he lost. <laughs> and it turned me against politics for a very long time because I was literally in the smoke-filled back rooms and it was filthy, it was dirty. These two religious people, family people, and it was just absolutely filthy thing that took place. But that opened me up into huge areas of spirituality, which uh, uh, led me to college where I did a lot of, of theater work, uh, um, both on stage and as a, I actually did special effects for Harvey, uh, which was one of my favorite things. Oh, do. wonderful play, yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely wonderful time. And again, a great uh, circumstance and stage. I had a great religious revelation, and I was actually baptized in the pool that At Boone was baptized in. <laughs> at that time, by that time, I was I was a religious student, religion student, and uh, I was actually reading the New Testament in, in the Greek, and 
deeply engaged. I'd been involved in, in a, a military church from the age of 13. I taught Sunday school and uh, my family wasn't religious. But I got baptized and I came out of the pool in this great light and I expected to turn around and be encompassed by all these wonderful people. And they were all just going next, next. <laughs> shattered me the same way that shattered me the same way that that politics shattered my, my understanding, my, my view of things. But what it did was it led me into a lifetime of spirituality. I'm not a religionist, but I'm a deep spiritualist. And that's the basis of my improvisation is, is, is that it, I believe it to be a spiritual event when people present themselves as individuals, as, as, as vulnerable, they learn how to do that. True, vulnerable, helpful individuals who are acting in collaboration and doing it in current time. It's a spiritual event. It changes lives. It changes the way that the planet operates. Oh, it's just so amazing. I so agree with you about the spiritual aspect of improv. The connections people make with people they ordinarily wouldn't have spoken to on the street and the sense of belonging. Even with just a six-week class, I see really incredible things happen with a group of people. And I know you've seen these as well. So Pat Boone shared the same water as you, huh? Now, where, where did you first take, where did you first see improv or learn about improv and where did you take classes? I was in San Diego and I, I was looking for something to do. I saw an ad in the newspaper thing that said, come dance to your heart's content mm. in a free atmosphere. And at that time, downtown San Diego was a seedy sport town, uh, a port town. So I drove down. And, and I'm going, oh, the ad was put in by robbers, by cooks, by, you know. And, and so I left my car thinking, well, maybe it'll be there when I get back. I walked up to a door, double door going up a dark stairway, double wide stairway. And I thought, yes, there's going to be robbers at the top. And I got and I opened the door to Dance Jam run by Susan Greer Essex, who had been a student of Merce Cunningham for people um, who know dance. Yes. Um, and uh, she was a, a movement therapist. And she ran this wonderful thing. I opened the door and here were people dancing. Mostly a lot of people dancing just alone. You know, like you would in your living room. There were a couple couples, but there were sets of three over here and a set of four over there. And I walked into this magnificent event of improvisational dance. They loved me because I had, well, I learned to dance. My mom taught me to dance when I was a kid. Uh, all the English, you know, waltz and, and shottish and polka and everything. And, and then my Aikido, uh, gave me another movement factor. We did most incredible work dancing in improv. One of the one of the dancers was a, a woman named Sharon Silverglade. The thing I loved to tell about her was she ran up to me one day and she threw her arms around me and hugged me and she went, took this big deep breath and says, oh, I just love to smell you. You can't hold anything back. <laughs> she me to an improv show. I, I knew the name Second City, but I didn't know improv at all. Southern California and a little town I grew up in, there was no information about improv. And I went to see the show and it just put me on the floor. Don Victor was a uh, student of uh, uh, Second City. This is back in, this is 1980 something. And uh, I, uh, I saw it, it was beautiful. Two weeks later, something canceled on me and I went back to see another improv show. I would normally have not done that, but something canceled. And I walked in and I saw the most incredible development I had ever seen of the individuals and of the ensemble. 
I had done all kinds. I'd been a teacher since I was a kid. I've been a teacher in the Navy. I had been in every kind. And I'd never seen that kind of, they'd been through a workshop, a show, and a workshop. And there was palpable, real development. I went running up to Don and I said, oh, Don, how, how do I do this? How? And he said, well, we have, we have workshops on Wednesdays. And that, like I say, that was a long time ago. I've never turned back. And uh, my life changed uh, uh, from that and other things. My first improv class was the same. It was a life-changing event when I first took improv. And the connections for me as a therapist were, and also as somebody that works a lot with addictions and 12 steps, all the parallels I saw right away. And I thought, wow, improv therapy, I'll be unique. And then I discovered AIN and thousands of other people doing the same thing. Yes. yes. You've been part of AIN for a while, haven't you, Robert? The Applied Improv Network. I have. um, My uh, Aikido brought me to it as well. My Aikido sensei is an incredible woman. Uh, uh, Jenny Whitelaw, um, uh, Dr. Whitelaw, she, she has a PhD in, in rapid particle physics uh, from uh, Chicago, uh, University of Chicago. She was actually an astronaut candidate. She was a manager on the NASA program. And uh, she was my second, uh, third actually, but major improv teacher. And uh, she was in a, a, a conference in London. And uh, in the lobby, she met Belina Raffi, who was one of the founders of the Applied Improvisation Network. And it's one of the great stories in my life because uh, they met and they got to talking. What are you doing here? Well, I'm doing this program. Ginny's also a Zen priest uh, uh, as well. Zen is a major factor in the line of improv, of Aikido that I study. And uh, she's talking about that. And what are you doing? Belina said, well, I'm here in an improv. Uh, pro- and Ginny and I had done several improv things together, uh, meetings, AI, I didn't know it was applied improvisation at the time, but the a radio thing and blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, I've done a little bit of improv. Uh, in Atlanta, there's this fellow named Robert Lowe. And it's one of the great stories of my life because Belina said, you know Robert Lowe? He <laughs> changed my life. That was said to my improv sensei. It hadn't been said to my father. Could not have been more powerful. Basically, Belina was working in a bank. She'd done some improv. She'd done some comedy stuff. She hated the bank terribly. And she read the first edition of my book, uh, Improvisation Inc. And she quit her job and has now become one of these massive change elements in improvisation and in, in laughter and in the world. She's just this great person. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. That is fantastic. So you got hooked right away and then you were, when you got to Atlanta, what, did you just start teaching classes or how did you develop the programs in Atlanta? Well, I found there was nothing here. So what I did was I, I sat down and I, and I just wrote a letter to all of the uh, theaters in Atlanta and said, I'm this guy from California. I'm going to do a free improv workshop, uh, come and play. At that time, I, I had been about three years in the improv, and comedy improv. Um, I had about 15 games, and I had Viola Spolin's book in my hand. And that was all I had, plus my experience with people. And uh, I showed up at this, uh, I rented a room for $25. I put a jar in the door and said, you know, if you put a buck in or something, uh, you know, that would be nice, but this is a free workshop. 15 people showed up the first night. Nearly 25 people showed up the next night. And that began the process. I'm, I'm credited, they call me the godfather of improv 
and there's two sides to that. One is because I was the guy that started it out and I was uh, the only improv that there was in town. And, uh, but the truth of the matter is there's a group of people called the light side city players. About six of them are still involved in improv at high levels 35 years later. Uh, who, who, who are the people who developed improv in Atlanta? Ten years later came the next th two theaters came to us. One of them is Dad's Garage, which is an internationally known. I theater. love them. I've seen them several times. They're fantastic. They're extraordinary. The whole organization is beautiful. And then the, uh, the other was the uh, uh, um, Whole World Theater Company. And then sometime later, Village Theater, blah, blah, blah. Now today we have five full improv comedy theaters, four colleges. We've got two high schools playing. We've got as many as 15 um, in, indie teams playing regularly. Among them being Laughing Matters, who is the longest running improv comedy team in the Southeast, run by Tommy Futch, who's a man in a wheelchair, who whose life was changed massively. I have a letter from him that just honored me at such a deep level. And, and, and he does work with schools and lawyers and he's just this great, great guy. He's working with dads as well as well as Laughing Matters. They play regularly and have been playing for more than 35 years at the same once, you know, once a month place that they play the first, first Monday of the month. And it just grew and grew uh, at, 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 oh, the negative side of this was many years later, I started working on trying to make a documentary happen about improv in Atlanta. I took it as far as I could and it's in abeyance as we got a lot of film and stuff and all this sort of thing going on. But I discovered that what happened a year or so, a little bit more than a year into the Lightside City Players, a group of people broke off and went to do improv elsewhere and they didn't tell me they were doing that. They did it behind my back. Well, I was an older fellow. I was usually about 10 years older than most of the people that were there. And then it stung, but I, I was, gosh, the, the traditions of Aikido and any system, you know, you, you get people together and they build and somebody says, hey, I want to do it my way. I want to do it another way. I want to do it someplace else. And that's what happens. Of course. And what it did was it created Laughing Matters, which is just this magnificent thing that's grown. But the thing was, they were afraid to tell me because I was the only game in the Southeast. If I get this guy angry, where do I improv? Where do I go? And I take full con you know, blame for that. I, I was this wild guy from California. And most of these people were from Georgia, South Georgia. You know, especially Tommy talks about that. He, you know, he came from South Georgia. He came to Atlanta because he was in a wheelchair. And they didn't have good sidewalks in South Georgia. So Atlanta was his place. And here's this wild guy from California with all of his ideas, things, and stuff. And, and they were just afraid. And I was not mature enough. To, to, I, I wasn't listening deeply enough to understand that. What they wanted... I, Everything I've ever done in improv is with large, larger numbers of people, and I never know what I'm going to do. I've never done a show, a workshop, or anything with a plan for what I was going to do. I go in and assess. It's one of my issues about improv. I go in and I, I say, who's here? Let's do what's going on here. And, with bunch, and they just wanted and, and new things all the time. They wanted to go deeper. They wanted to have more stage time. They wanted to work with a smaller set of people. Many of them, several of them had a lot of theater experience, had, had you know, real uh, traditional theater experience. And that's all it was. And I didn't have the heart. I didn't know that that was going on. Well, all of that has come back. I have been, they came back to my theater. 
I had the first improv comedy theater in the Southeast, um, and they came back to that. Other people came to it. Uh, I have been honored. Laughing Matters did a wonderful job of roasting me at a festival at Georgia Tech. Nice, nice. And I've had I've had comments that have just filled me up, and the community has grown and grown. Now, here's the thing that happened that was interesting. For many years, as we got more theaters, it got to be two and then three and then a couple you know, other things going on, and people were, it was siloed. At a point, it was so bad that if you took classes from another theater or another group, you could be ousted from your group. Uh, you certainly couldn't, you know, if you went to see a show there, you didn't tell anybody about it. Well, about five years ago or something like that, a wonderful man who's now the temporary, uh, the, the interim director of Dad's Garage, John Carr, met me. And he said, how do, how do I not know you? I've been in Atlanta doing improv. And I'd been in and out. You know, for some and, and, I, and I said, well, blah, blah, blah. I talked about the silo. Well, what he did was he got on the phone and he called the major theaters and, and, and a couple teams and said, Let's, I want to do a show together. And he put together a thing called the ARC. <clears throat> two members from each of the theaters and two from each of the two major independent teams. And we played in an old, wonderful theater. 300 people came to that show and it brought the entire community together. And it was standing room only. It was beautifully done. And, and, and it demonstrates one of the main things I love about the improv. Uh, you know Adam Blattner and yeah. his wonderful work, his, his background. In one of his books, I, I won't say the name because I can't think of it right at the moment, but he, he describes 29 different kinds and ways of doing improvisation. An improvisational theater. There's no wrong way to do it. Right, exactly. Exactly. But I think sometimes groups might get a little cliquish depending on where they are and maybe competitive, maybe a little competition rather. Um, but I, I did want to go back to something about the different, you know, there's a lot of forms in improv today, you know. And so I wondered when when you started and as you progressed, were you using different forms? I'm kind of a spolen uh affectionado myself um but we i've done other things that you might have found from comedy sports and other groups in johnstone but were you doing the you know the herald and other long forms as well um i i, I didn't get to really full long form um my form of matt of long form ultimately is to is to take a theme and run it through a number of different games uh, or to expand there's a great game that's called uh, space jump where usually you get uh, that's David Shepard. Is that is that David? Okay, um, I don't know where I got it. I, I, I had I started with Spolin stuff, and then I just started reading, which is also one of my issues. Is people, especially in applied improvisation, if you're going to be a professional, I know reading is not in vogue these days, but if you're going to be a professional, please, please read at least one book, two every year. Of, of Spolin and Johnstone and get to know David Shepard and, and Augusto Boal and, and, and all those people. Uh, so what I did, one of, one of the interesting things, I would play at Georgia Tech. And, and Space Jump usually has four people. You know, so they start a scene and do a second scene, third, and then you, can, then you go backwards. I put people out. I did a thing where I, I did <coughs> 11 different scenes. And anywhere during the show, if I called out, Number seven, whatever people were doing, they had to go back to scene number seven and where they were at scene number seven and do that. And then we would do something and I would say number 12 and they would have to go back to that. So that was kind of my long 
long form. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what are some of your major joys and then major concerns with the improvisation in the world today? Well, my, my concerns start with, with that reading idea, with people understanding that, that you don't need anything. And, and I say this in my book, you don't, you don't need to read anything. You, don't, you just get up there and do it. And, and, and I tell people, if you have five basic principles, usually everybody agrees on yes and, and, and being present and listening, uh, you know, and backing each other up and that sort of thing. But if you have five basic principles, you can play improv almost anywhere. If you have 10 principles, you can play anywhere in the world. And if you have 15 principles, you can teach anywhere. And that's the nature of the thing. And, and, and you can do it in your flavor. You can do it in your, your way of doing it. My concern really is that my biggest one is this. I hear a lot, and especially of new people, and a lot of it's just networking. Uh, I'm going to be working with a group of XYZ. Uh, and uh, do you have any, and, and, the, and their concern is this or that or the other. Do you have any games uh, that would be especially good for that? My answer is every single improv game. Absolutely, Robert. I am so with you on that. When I train, I'm interrupting for a second, but when I train therapists to do improv, they're always asking like for which disorder or what's that going to do? And it's your own personal experience, your own takeaway that matters. We can't categorize games that way. And, and, and the baseline of it all for me is, is that I, I do this. My four first principles were, first of all, to be present, as everybody knows, to be in the current moment. And that's jet pilot present. Uh, 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 that's, that's new mother present. That's, that's marathon runner present, constantly going back to it and back to it and back to it. Second is to be honest with yourself. I am doing improv. I'm unhappy. I'm happy. This is who I am today in this circumstance. This is me, really. This is how I feel about what's going on. Third is to be honest with another. Now, on the improv stage, that's whoever you're playing with. I am doing improv. I'm not using something before. I'm not trying to upstage you. I'm not trying to get laughs. We're doing improv. And the fourth is to put it out. Put it out for public view. Right. Those four things. And if you look carefully at almost all the religious and philosophical systems, what you'll find is those four principles are somewhere in there on how to be. And those are the things that I say to people. Do, use your games. If you have favorite games, you only know seven, you only know what to do, go ahead. Do that. Start with being present. Show up first, then be present. Right. The thing you were saying about uh, the clickish thing, there's, a, there's an aspect that I have of that. Um, I, I see two Im different improvisers come to town. One of them comes and says, hi, I'm here. I, I have a gift. Uh, I, and and you know, let's, let's play. Another one comes to town and says, I am the gift. And that's what creates. I am. I'm sorry, you faded out. I, I am the gift. Ah, uh, yeah. And that's what I think is the difference. Uh, my joy is the development. Growth, the massive development around the 24 festivals, improvisation around the world, Europe, Asia, Africa, all the continents, South America, burgeoning, uh, extraordinary, extraordinary development, extraordinary growth. And I think that it is, in many ways, the salvation 
against the what I call fascist oligarchic power thing going on in the world. And the improv people basically, and the younger people, a lot of them, I just love the generation, are basically saying, this is a bunch of junk. I'm going to be me. I'm going to learn how to be me. And, 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 and if I can feel playful, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, being playful is so important. And you knew the late Bernie DeCoven, didn't you, who the master play? Oh, I did. I love Bernie and always will. He was fabulous. I was able to speak to him several times and not just podcasts, but on personal coaching. And he was such a generous giving person. And that's why I find an improv, generous giving souls. Uh, One of the things I like to do is I do a lot of mindfulness in my classes. I do mindfulness breathing, mindfulness exercises, sometimes visualizations. And I find it really helps people be in the present myself. It, it, it so does. Uh, just absolutely. Um, the other thing is that we're, we're, we're no longer the stepchild of the theater. Right. We, we have, we, we're in place. My thing with the Atlanta History Center, uh, Michael Golding's uh, got David Shepard's, he was gifted David Shepard's entire archive. And it's been accepted by Northwestern University. Uh, my next step, as soon as I have uh, know when the History Center is going to be available, I'm going to start advertising this and talking to people in Atlanta. We've got four organizations here that have 25 years archive, and I and I and I built my archive as a foundation of that. Yes. And then across the country and around the world, we are an important force for human delight and human Absolutely. survival. Well, talking about David Shepard, you know, Neva Boyd and Viola Spolin were working with the people who didn't have anything, immigrants to the country. And David Shepard's, I believe, original idea was taking theater to the people and working out of social consciousness. Even though he was this wealthy boy from New York and educated, he wanted to work with the people of Chicago. And he did some incredible work during his beautiful lifetime. But that idea of social consciousness and that you mentioned um, Augustus Boel. Wow. Idea of social consciousness and how, can you comment on that a bit? Well, that, that's my, my latest thing. And that's, that's what I have been more and more talking about. It is time now for the improv world, and many people are doing this so beautifully. Cat, cat cop at the, um, among them, uh, so many people in AIM, uh, oh, just stepping up, but stepping it all up, not, not to become political and divisive, but to step it up and start talking about what it is we are, who we are, so that we can learn to laugh at our foibles and our errors, and we can learn to mock and laugh at the people who are not playing with us joyfully and carefully. It's time for us to step up. Absolutely. And you mentioned Kat Coppett. You have introduced me to some of my wonderful guests. You turned me on to uh, Beth and uh, Autism Autism Improvised, Incorporated. And uh, what a delight that's been. And that's connected me more to people who are doing, you know, improv with special ability people and cat Coppet and just a whole host of me. You've been so generous sharing contacts with me. I, I just want to thank you again for all your help with me and my work, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Great little story for cat. Um, my book improvisation incorporated was actually the first full book about a 
applied improvisation in North America. And uh, there were others that did parts and bits and pieces of that, but it was the very first one. So Cat uh, Cop was second. Actually, uh, 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 Jackson um, uh, in uh, uh, at Ain, I can't get his name, uh, did the first in Europe, uh, Paul Jackson. And then Cat Coppett was the second one in the States. And she told me this story, two things happened. One, she told me the story that when she went to her publishers with her book, they said, well, who else has done? And she said, the only thing, the only one I know, the only thing I know out there is Robert Lowe's work. And then later, we discovered, both of us, we discovered emails that we had interchanged several years before just by happenstance. So that's the other thing. We are a single, I feel that the human being is the, the neural net of Gaia, of the planet. We are the mind of our earth. And there's, there's illness in that as going on. And yet the improv is, is, is the solution to, to that illness. It is the way, it's the way we work as one mind with 7.6 billion viewpoints. Oh, it's massive what we've got to do. And the improv. I'm a little excited about it. Probably. Are, you, um, are, you, are you playing at all anymore? Do you drop in? What do you do right now? I periodically get pulled up on stage. Oh, a great little story. I was pulled up on with Laughing Matters. And I told you about Tommy Thoughts. Right. And there's this wonderful game called Dating Game. Yeah. Uh, right. Yes. Right. And uh, I'd been introduced, when I go to see Laughing Matters, they're very kind, and they introduced me, uh, you know, this is Robert, blah, 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 you know, okay. So <clears throat> I'd been introduced as an as, uh, 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 improv legend, Robert Lowe. So <clears throat> I was up, they called me up uh, for, for this dating game, and I'm sitting there, and this wonderful, fairly new improviser, uh, uh, Hannah Esselson, just, she came up to me, and uh, on her date, and she looked at me, and she said, I was expecting the improv legend, you're not Tommy Futch. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful and the improv is so open from john carr's from john carr's work uh, uh from that gathering everybody we, we got it there's enough students there's enough audience there's enough work to do and everybody is going to see each other's shows they're doing workshops with each other <clears throat> support systems and the connectedness and that's that's what's going on around the world. And that's what I truly, truly love. I, I grew up in, in, in a violent gang-run ghetto. Uh, uh, and, and, and my parents shielded me from that. Uh, my gang was the Cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts. <laughs> and the high school. And then I did work in South Central Los Angeles in poverty. I worked in welfare for a period of time. I watched a horrible shootout in the courthouse in Marin County when I was first involved with the, the communes in, in Northern California, the man in the wheelchair. I, I, I've seen so much and I was a serious kid. Oh, I was serious. So complete. And that's, that's what really probably drew me to improv because it began to open up because my family survived on laughter. That's how we got through it. And it opened I could laugh, but I was still serious. The improv opened and opened and opened me. <clears throat> I watched it happen. We were playing in San Diego, and this young man 
who had been in an accident of some sort, and his mental level was about a 12-year-old. And uh, he just loved to play. He was the most interesting guy, and just real. At first, people kind of used him as a prop. But soon, we got to love him. And then these two kids came from some major school for the summer, and they saw him there. Bella, and I'll never forget two of them sitting there and talking to each other. Because when you, when you come really with a lot of reference and a lot of mind, sometimes it takes a while for you to run out of that to get to the improv. And one of them, they were struggling with it. They'd been to that place. They looked up and they said, one said to the other, if he can do this, I can do it. And that's, that's the energy. That's the life force. That's the change. And at Georgia Tech, 30 years ago, started the improv troupe at Georgia Tech, longest running college team in the Southeast. And I have year after year watched these bright and oftentimes socially, not necessarily completely uh, adept people come in come into the improv and I watch them shift and change and grow. And the next thing is to wish to teach it to someone else. Right. And that's why it has lasted that long. Right. It's just an incredibly beautiful tradition. And you have inspired people and helped so many people that I, I couldn't count them all. But I want to thank you so much for being here today with me, Robert. And, and sharing your wisdom and your experiences and your laughter. And one of these days I'm gonna to get to Atlanta. I know it'll happen. I don't know where or when, but I, I, again, thank you for all the support that you've given me. I can't tell you how much it's meant to me. And I'm really glad that we were able to have this chat today. And I look forward to our next chat. Thank you so much, Robert Lowe. Thank you. Okay, so you're staying there right now. Okay, and I'm gonna just do something with my recording. Um, okay. It was fun, you're a great facilitator.